I think that intimacy is impossible without boundaries. Because if I don't tell you what's not okay for me, if I, can, if I am afraid to say no, then I can't actually be fully present or I can't actually even receive what you want to give me because I'm, I'm being, I, I feel like I need to be dishonest or I have to betray myself in some way. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can find more calm, comfort, and clarity through the simple act of slowing down. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with writer and astrologist Chani Nicholas, who has a new book out called You Were Born for This, Astrology for Radical Self-Acceptance. Chani has been a powerful guide for me over the past few years. She offers a fairly regular stream of online courses related to different astrological happenings, and I am an avid student. More than once, I have taken her course on The Year Ahead, which she offers every January, and I can honestly say it has been wildly accurate for at least two years running now. At the beginning of last year, in fact, one of her predictions for people of my ilk Capricorn Rising, that is, was that there would be magic in the cave in 2019, which meant a lot of behind-the-scenes work on creative projects, as she described it. Having loads of creative projects to incubate, I got extremely excited. Like, yes, my time has come. Only to later learn as I moved through the year that the creative project I was incubating was actually myself, and that that particular incubation project actually felt a little bit too much like being inside a cave, a dark cave of self-reflection, a journey I actually talked about in some detail in the first episode of this season, letting go isn't easy. That said, the end result certainly was magic. It all just played out a little differently than I expected. Point being, Chani's work has played a pivotal role in providing context for me as I've moved through and tried to make sense of some pretty deep transformations. So it was a real honor to finally get to sit down and talk with her. In this conversation, we dig into the topic of uncovering and living out your purpose, as well as learning how to set good boundaries. Now, on the face of it, these might not seem like related ideas, but they are actually deeply intertwined. Because you cannot find your purpose and ultimately live out your creative potential without carving out the space to do a lot of personal investigation. And that space cannot be had without setting up some boundaries. Along the way, we talk about being a late bloomer, growing up with the imprints of people who haven't lived out their potential, why we often need to give ourselves permission to use our talents, and the importance of supplementing the voice of the inner critic with our own internal healing voice. And if you're skeptical about astrology, don't let that hold you back from listening. Much like this podcast, Chani's work and her wisdom is deeply connected to helping give people a framework for thinking about their lives and opening up pathways to personal development. And that's exactly what this conversation is all about. Let's get started. You are what you describe as a late bloomer, and it took you a long time to find this career path, which you now seem really confident and assured in. And when someone witnesses that energy from the outside, when I witness it, it, I very much have this feeling that you were 
born to do this. And that idea of being born for this is, of course, baked into the title of your new book. Can you talk about how your own path unfolded from your 20s through your 30s and now into your 40s? Yeah, for me, it was, it. I had to do, so I think some people are, some people I've witnessed, no matter what they faced in their childhood, they're kind of able to access their the thing that they're meant to do, like their purpose really quickly in life. And their talent is very ripe and ready to be utilized. And they also have the capacity and the wherewithal to put it into practice. And I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I I needed a lot of healing to happen for me. I needed a lot of life experience to to occur before I was able to actually access and work with a lot of different aspects of my talent. And so, you know, I think I, I'm one of those people where if you too are a late bloomer, then I can speak to that experience of having to wait and it wade through a lot of personal, you know, muck and be mired in a lot of things that one just has to kind of sort through in order to be able to actually start to approach the meaning of one's life and to actually be of some kind of, I don't, I'm not saying that I wasn't of use before all this because everything's important and everything's part of our, our life purpose, but I certainly wasn't engaged with my agency and, and I wasn't engaged with my, my purpose in the way that I am now. Um, and so I just had to go through a lot of different ups and downs and end up down a lot of dead end roads and a lot of wrong turns and a lot of, you know, experimenting with self-destruction and in order to get to a place where I could finally just focus myself and choose myself and apply myself to to the thing that I most wanted to do. When from, you know, what I've read in your book, you were connected to astrology and, and, you know, exploring it at a very young age. What do you think was like, why did it sort of take you so long to kind of um, accept that as your path? I think that because, because my particular story has so much to do with addiction and so much to do with self-destruction, uh, that the environment that I grew up in was one of a lot of self-destruction and and a not necessarily an activation of one's potential. And that was the pattern and the system that I grew up in. And so it was very much set inside of me. And I had to really push through the inertia of that. And it took me a long time to finally break out of it enough to be able to choose myself. But I think that when one, for me at least, and again, everyone's different, but because I was so inundated with adults who made decisions that really sabotaged a lot of their relationships and a lot of their ability to, again, be in the world, I had to almost exercise that from myself, like an exorcism, like I had to really break it down. And again, I I had to live out certain aspects of it in order for me to understand psychologically what I was doing. And so I just needed that time to heal. So I've been doing astrology since I was 12 and I've done it my whole life, but I just didn't, I couldn't really choose myself until I was ready to. And I had to hit many different bottoms in order to be able to get to that place. And it was like a confronting of my own 
that that own self-destructive nature inside of myself, but also all of the self-destruction that I had inherited and that I had been enmeshed in and that I had been inundated with. It's really like the water that I swam in or the air that I breathed was really full of that kind of sentiment. And so in order for me to go beyond and to move past and to outgrow a lot of the systems that I was raised within, it takes a, and again, each of us do this differently, but you really have to choose self in very minuscule ways because those kinds of behaviors that tend to unravel our opportunities um, are very insidious and very small. And so I was lucky enough to be introduced to yoga also at the age of 12. I was lucky enough to be uh, raised in a place with phenomenal nature that I had that I felt was very healing. And then I was also lucky enough to be introduced to Reiki and other forms of healing and therapy also around the age of 12. And so even though I had all of those things, those tools with me throughout being a teenager, the initial setup was so strong in me that it just took the time that it took for me to untangle myself enough from all of that stuff that I grew up in to allow myself a moment to see if I could succeed. Well, I think that in certain ways that's common, not so much necessarily this growing up in this environment of addiction and self-destruction as you talk about, but certainly maybe growing up in an environment um, where, you know, the people you're surrounded by or the people who are raising you, there's some sort of rejection of potential that has happened in their lives. Yes, exactly. You take that on kind of as your own burden and you know, is that something that you see a lot in um, people that you, you know, talk to and and clients? Yes, I feel like it's very much a part of the human condition. We're social animals, and we very much want and need to be part of a group. And if our group of origin, whether that be our biological family or not, or, or the groups that we're associated with, if they are committed to staying in a certain place and not moving beyond it, not growing, not expanding, not healing, not being humbled by life, all of those things, then we have to really push up against that fear of being alone. And I think so much of our, so much of our, so much of the ways in which we're distracted, so much of our social media engagement, so much of our behavior that can actually derail productivity and creativity, I think really stems from this deep, deep need, obviously, to be part of a group and to not want to be isolated from the conversation and also not want to be, not want to have to sit with our fear of loneliness or the feelings of loneliness or the feelings that come up when we are alone. And so in order to break out of a group or a family system or a a social dynamic that actually isn't supportive of your overall like lifetime growth means that you have to then be able to be strong enough to be, to have a a sturdy enough container to hold the feelings that are going to come up around self-doubt and just the, the pain, the growing pains that come with, with knowing that sometimes we do outgrow certain situations and sometimes we do really have to, you know, go it alone and to push ourselves beyond those 
limits that other people may have set is part of the challenge of becoming a mature adult. Well, and how do you think that you build that sturdy container that you refer to? I mean, I think there's sort of the the practice of kind of building the container, the sanctuary for yourself of sorts, but also, and then as you were saying, this idea of kind of choosing yourself, right? And part of choosing yourself is just being able to sit with yourself, like reject yes. these distractions that you were referring to. How do you, you know, I don't know, how have you done that for yourself? Yeah. I think building a container takes, if we don't, again, some of us are, some of us are kind of born with one and it's <laughs> phenomenal. You're like, wow, you just have that sense of, you know, self and integrity and you know, even though they've gone through a lot of really traumatic events, they've kind of always kept that. For someone like me, I had to really learn how to build it. I, I felt like I, I had it. And then I felt like I really need a lot of help learning how to develop this. So I went to therapy and Reiki and all of these things. And, you know, I had to find people. And again, this is, you know, something that is challenging, but I had to find people that were able to take the pennies that I had to offer them, you know, like I was going to therapy when I had no money and going to Reiki when I had no money. So I really like I baked cookies and made, you know, my Reiki master soup, like in exchange for, for treatments. And my therapist, like, you know, took whatever money I had basically for years and years and years. And as soon as I could pay people their like regular fee, I absolutely did. But I also had to search for people that both fit me in that kind of therapeutic dynamic and also were able to, they could, they were self-sustained enough to be able to take me on as, you know, definitely less than full price. So there's that thing of needing to find people that can, that have done it for themselves in their own way and that you can start to read or get the imprint of another way of being. And I think that that's really important. And finding people that have really sturdy senses of self or sturdy containers or an ability to hold their own emotional reaction and sort through it and come to uh, an understanding of the situation, what, whatever it may be, is really, really important because we are always studying each other and we are learning also through mirroring each other. And so if we're, we're never around, you know, adult people that can do all those things, then we're never going to be able to, I think it's much harder to learn how to do it. And so finding, even watching videos of people that can do that, that have that kind of sense of self, reading books of people that have acquired that sense of self or that just have it, um, studying with them, all that. I really believe that as much as you need to inundate yourself with the information and with the human beings that are doing the thing that you also want to learn how to do in your own way. I love that phrase, the imprint of another way of being. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. And it sounds like you had the benefit of, you know, finding a lot of healers to work with. I myself have had the privilege of working with many different healers, which has really helped me kind of come into myself. But, you know, what about when you don't have access to that or even, I mean, I guess also it's just interesting thinking about this idea, right? We're talking about choosing yourself, coming into yourself, but very much that that's something that you can't do on your own, which I think is a sort of conception that we have, like this kind of American self-reliance sort of idea. Right. You really do need community. And that's when the internet can be really great because you can go on the internet and watch videos of 
of people that 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 have that that can be role models for you. You can get books, you can download podcasts, you can you can you have access to a lot of different thought leaders and healers um, in ways that you know probably you didn't when you were a child or I didn't when I was growing up. And so there is that that supplement that can be a bridge between being isolated in your experience and finding the people that are that are going to be your next community or your next, you know, chosen family or what have you. So there's, there's, there's all these different, every little tiny bridge or every little tiny like stick that you can lay across your shore to the next one builds momentum and builds uh, a a through way for you to get from A to B. And we have to be, I think really like place a lot of our, awareness and energy in the little things that we can do because it's we're really focused on the big changes that people make and the big successes that people have and this has been said a million times over but they're all dependent on the very tiny little decisions that we make throughout each and every day and so Mm -hmm. that's where your power is and it's always there and so to really invest in that and even when you don't see or feel or witness the results right away just to, if there's one thing that you can meditate on is knowing that each little deposit that you make into yourself and into your healing and into your kind of conscious awareness and expansion, it matters so, so much more than you could know. Yeah. And I like your idea that um, in many ways, there's a lot more choice in terms of your chosen family these days with the internet. Like I've been getting deeply to know Ram Das, like, and he doesn't even need to be involved in it because I can go watch, you know. He's not even here anymore. He's (laughs) sadly not here anymore. (laughs) I don't think he's sad about not being here though, let's just say. (laughs) He took off a tight shoe, right? That's his his metaphor for death, I think. It's like taking off a tight shoe. (laughs) Yeah. I really want to do his chart because he has like a fort Mm. with somebody that knew him because his chart is just so, it's so loudly his life. (laughs) I look forward to that. So we're talking about the self and um, you've used a metaphor before of the self and and really of someone's astrological chart as this sort of vehicle that they're driving and that part of what needs to be uncovered is a certain style. Like what's your way of driving or what's your way of Mm. doing your chart of melding all of these disparate qualities. Mm. And I'm curious how much of kind of you know, finding your purpose or finding that thing that you were born to do, do you think is stylistic? So not so much what you're doing as the way that you're doing it. Yeah, I really think what's powerful is is what you bring to the thing that you do. And so finding the right container for your energy and passion and erotic self, an erotic like energy, creative energy, um, and your everything is really important because we need the the containers where we can do where we can really fill out in ways that feel exciting to us but it's really about you it's really about what you bring to it because a million other people are going to do some version of what you're doing and the only real you know again power or je ne sais quoi that we have in terms of our professional self and i think in terms of developing ourselves is the way in which we bring ourselves to it and what in what ways can we be vulnerable in our work in what ways can we be really honest in our work and and what 
what really about your life? What, what, what about your childhood? What about your teenagehood? What about your young adulthood? Were you not able to really express or bring? And is there a way in which your career has become, or this professional space or public space, becomes a place where you can heal that? Not, you know, vomit it out. <laughs> not, not like expose everybody to the trauma of things necessarily, <laughs> but in a way that we can like say, oh, when I was little, I actually didn't get to say this, or I didn't get to this part of myself didn't get to exist in the world. And now that I have agency and now that I have some amount of maturity, I can bring this here. And I know how to do that in a safe way for myself. And I know how to do it in a way that it can also serve my work and possibly even the world in some way. I think that's really where we get into our purpose. We have to pause now, but keep those earbuds in. After the jump, Chani and I talk about giving yourself permission to accept your talents and why intimacy is impossible without boundaries. This episode is brought to you by Hover. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, which is why when I was dreaming up my latest project, an online home for my Reiki practice, I zoomed right on over to Hover.com to see what URLs were available. Hover makes finding and maintaining your new domain name completely seamless. First of all, they have hundreds of different extensions to choose from, including all the classics like .com or .org, plus a bunch of new school favorites like .co, .io, or .design. But my favorite part is that Hover doesn't try to constantly upsell you. Whois.privacy is included with every domain, and features like Hover Connect make it super easy to connect your domain name to a variety of popular website builders with just a few clicks. And if you have a bunch of websites like me, the more domains you register with Hover, the less you pay in renewals. They also have a refreshingly clean and simple UI that makes it super easy to do sometimes daunting tasks like setting up a new DNS record or repointing your name server. So if you've got an idea you're passionate about, start laying the groundwork now by heading on over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash hurry slowly. As an astrologist, you've talked about how being able to see people's skills and potential in their chart allows you to see what they could be. And in telling them what they could be, sometimes it feels like you're giving them permission to step into that role. How much of a factor do you think giving yourself permission plays in this idea of kind of finding your purpose or beginning to live it out? It depends on who you are and how, what your constitution is. I think some people can give themselves permission really easily. And I think most people have a hard time with it. And I think that, or from my own experience, I can say that the people that have given me permission to just be myself and do the things that I most want to do have really helped me to take big leaps and trust in my own abilities and move the needle, you know, forward in my life. And that's something that I specifically really needed at those times. And so for an astrologer to give you permission via your chart, then that can be sometimes enough of a encouragement for someone to, to begin the process of believing in themselves and believing in their talents and believing that they have 
the right to try to develop them in some way. Like what would happen? Sometimes some of us just need to someone else to say like, well, what would happen if we just suspended disbelief that you're, you know, that that nothing in life works out for you and we just suspended that just then we just like <laughs> you know like let's just hang that up on the wall for a second we can come pick it up later but if we just like put that aside for a moment what would happen if we actually fully gave everything to this talent or this desire or this dream that you had for like a year like what would happen if you actually did that and again you can pick up the disbelief you know after but what would be what might occur if you actually allowed this dream, desire, talent to have room to breathe and grow and see the sunlight and get fed and exist in yourself and in your world and in your imagination and on your drawing board and in your calendar? Like, what might that become? And so that's been my role in a lot of counseling sessions is to say, well, the chart says this, does that resonate with you? And then if, when it does, then I can say, well, what would it be to allow that to be true? And that's the only thing I think, it's a, that's like the seed, we need to start there. And then a lot of things can happen just from that one statement. I see this as true in your chart. Can you see it as true just for a moment? And if, if that's <laughs> so, what does that mean for you? And it's a powerful, it can be a powerful paradigm shift. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm curious, do you have any certain moments in your past that are kind of crystallized for you where someone gave you that permission, like said something specific to you that really opened up a door for you? Yeah, I have many, many, many. And, you know, they start young in terms of the astrology. I had a, a you know, a, mem a person in our fam extended family that you know, I'd tell them that I would dream about the planets at night when I was like 19, 20. And she'd be like, you know, that's not normal, right? Like, I don't do that. Like, I, I know what astrology is, but I don't, I don't hang out with planets in my dreams. And I'd be like, oh, that's weird. And, you know, people would always say to me, like, this astrology, like, this is where, like, you're really good at this. This is a thing that you know. And so I had to hear it a lot. And of course, my mm -hmm. I write about in the book, like my therapist had said it. And I, I also write in the book, one of one of my professors, you know, said it to me in, uh, when I was finishing up my undergrad. And I had a lot of people be like, you know, you could just, you could just believe that this was a thing. <laughs> and I denied it for a long time. Um, and that's, I think that's also a self-protecting mechanism that eventually starts to be really inhibiting and self-sabotaging. But that it's sometimes too much, depending on where we are in our personal growth, to accept that we have a talent. Because if we're, used, if we're used to being denied or rejected or abandoned, then if we have a talent, it's also, it's almost too painful to mm. be able to grapple with because I've always been the one who was you know, not paid attention to. So what do you mean I have this thing? It's like, for me, it was really anger inducing sometimes. It brought up a lot of the anger that's associated with being abandoned. So it's like, I can't have a thing because I've, I've, I've been neglected for so long. So how could there actually be something special here or something worthwhile or something to pull out of the wreckage? And so again, I think we have to like confront whatever feelings come up around actually claiming the 
that, that thing that needs our protection, like our talent and our creative energy needs our protection and it needs us to fight for it and it needs us to care for it. And I think if we don't have a good, again, mirroring of that, we have to, we have to move through a lot of that, those feelings associated with it and find a way to care and love and protect this very new budding life that, that is trying to push up through our psyche, through ourselves, through our life. Mm, Well, speaking of claiming, um, I wanted to talk to you about boundaries. (laughs) You talk about them constantly in your work. (laughs) Could you share a little of your personal philosophy around boundaries and why you think we struggle with them so much? I think that intimacy is impossible without boundaries. Because if I don't tell you what's not okay for me, if I if I am afraid to say no, then I can't actually be fully present or I can't actually even receive what you want to give me because I'm, I'm being, I, I feel like I need to be dishonest or I have to betray myself in some way. So boundaries have a lot to do with when we allow, when we don't know how to not let people cross our boundaries, we're constantly in this feeling of, oh my goodness, I've betrayed myself. It's very unconscious, but we don't know. We haven't been given the tools to be able to say no. And for our own safety, sometimes we can't. And there's a lot, it's very complicated in a lot of you know situations. But in order to be fully engaged with, again, our creative energy and to be available for intimacy and to be able to be vulnerable, we have to be able to say, I like this, I don't like that. In order for consent to happen, you know, like we, there has to be conditions where we're allowed to say, I like this, I don't like that. And so it's not all personal responsibility. There is a huge piece of it that's collective and communal. <clears throat> and also the part of it that is personal is really important to engage with. And so just practicing saying no to people that mean a lot to you can be really powerful or to say, actually, I think this, even in a social setting with friends, you know, friends that you trust and you know that they love you and they're not going to leave you. Sometimes it's really interesting to find the ways in which like, oh, I'm actually not being totally honest about what I think about this thing and why. Maybe it's not the time to, but maybe I'm afraid that they're not going to like me or afraid that, you know, whatever the things are. So boundaries come up everywhere and boundaries come up with my relationship with myself I said I was going to do this thing and I'm not doing it. Am I, am I breaking my own boundary? Am I, you know, what are the, what are the ways in which I can hold my own boundaries in my own life day to day? And it comes up in my work schedule all the time. Like I need a certain amount of time to write this material. I need a certain amount of time to do this. The, the book needs a certain amount of this, of, of this time. And so it's like, how do we put down the boundaries that allow us to do all the things that we need to do from very, very intimate personal moments with, with our loved ones to actually being able to attain a goal. Um, boundaries are everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's kind of two-sided, right? There's this idea one, if you lay down those boundaries, maybe a little bit of the fear of like the sort of freedom or movement, you know, or space that you'll have. And then on the other side, there's like the fear of, you know, rejection or upsetting someone. And 
you wrote something about about kind of this this dynamic, which I which I wanted to share with listeners. You wrote, if people get offended that you have boundaries, it's because they haven't done that work themselves. Some folks will get mad that you have that kind of self-respect. They'll wonder why they don't. They may have had to tell themselves that it was okay that people violated them, and therefore they get to do the same mm. or allow the same. And any pushback to that dynamic flips their world upside down. Could you go a little bit deeper into this idea? Yeah, I think it's so deep. I mean, we talk about in my house, we talk about this all the time, especially when things happen in the social sphere or the public sphere, when someone's caused harm and also they're a beloved figure. And it's this really strange place that we humans find ourselves in. And I think it all goes back to if we're able to hold the complexities of having been trespassed ourselves or the people that did violate our boundaries or that did abuse their power dynamic in our relationship, again, especially when we're young. If we're not able to begin at least a conversation with ourselves about the fact that that even happened, not to even to heal it, not even to do anything with it, but just that it actually happened, then everything else in the world that happens that mirrors that has to be denied. So we live within, and we talk a lot about economic abuse in our house, and that we live in you know, the United States or North America uh, ha- is based on economic injustice and economic abuse. And so how do we even, when we start to talk about these things that feel really interpersonal, and then we realize they're societal, and then we realize they're completely structural, and they're national, and they're global, it's like, we're, t- we're functioning in systems that are inherently about power dynamics and about, you know, a lot of times one, one side of that winning and a lot of, a lot of other people losing. And so it just, it, it, it funnels down into so many different personal dynamics. And again, if we're not able to feel the very personal, very interpersonal, very subtle impacts of what's happened to us, then when somebody else says, well, I don't let that, that's my choice now as an adult is I don't let that happen. We're going to get mad at that person. We're going to, we're, we have to. And hopefully when we get mad at that person, we can be like, huh, why am I mad? (laughs) That's a weird reaction to have. They're just saying what they need. Let me investigate that further. Let me feel into why I would be upset that this person seems to be able to say no when they need to. Mm-hmm. Can I do that? And if not, why? Where does that come from? I mean, that's the hope that we get to be able to hold our feelings long enough to understand where they come from and what what they're rooted in. And, you know, we can see like, again, on these big public events that happen, like Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family, it's like they're choosing themselves and they're choosing their family and they're choosing <laughs> to live a life that is meaningful to them. And why should anybody be mad about it? But if you are really mad about it, I know that it's a, it's a big, you know, palava of things, but if you are really mad about it, is there, and this is just a question, but is there a way in which you tow the line for a system or a family or a profession that you actually don't want to, and you're resentful of it and seeing them break away from it? Does that make you angry because you haven't been able to do that or you can't do that or what have you. 
you know, so it's, there's always these ways in which what's going on outside is triggering something inside. And it's our job to parse out what is actually being triggered and why. Yeah, well, and maybe taking that really down to the micro level and, and really talking about what's going on inside, something that I've been thinking about pretty steadily for the past year is really becoming conscious of um, my self-talk and the language that I use with myself. And you've spoken in the past about the power of declarations. And I'm curious if you could talk about your thoughts around the power of language and be it the language that we use with ourselves or others and, and sort of the power of declarations. Yeah, I think that for me, I had to just demand things from myself. I got to a point where I was like, either I believe this or it's really probably never going to happen. And so even though I was living in a condition that wasn't fulfilling or there was a lot of heartbreak or unfulfilled expectations, I had to demand that my mind stay on track and be oriented towards possibility as much as possible while still holding the feelings that I was having. And so our mind is this very, very, very powerful database, computer, machine, instrument, creative factory. And if we have no connection with that power, if we're being run by all of the things that we're soaking up, all day in, day out, we're, we're kind of swimming in a lot of different soups that, that, that get really weird really quickly. And so we have to be able to reclaim our mental power, I think. And so to do practices that help us to reorient ourselves again towards the present moment and towards what's actually true or towards what is affirming of our power in the moment can be really cleansing because we're just distracted all day long. And I feel like if we don't have a louder voice or a place to come back to that's more like a sanctuary or a healing voice, that's probably a better way to say it. If we don't have a healing voice to come back to or to live within inside of our head, we're too easily pulled in a million different directions. Uh, I love this idea of the healing voice and and kind of staying oriented yeah. toward possibility. Yeah, we have to because the systems that we live within are so archaic and they're so violent and they're so destructive that if we, if we only are focused, we have to be aware of how they operate and how to deconstruct them, but we can't give the power of our mind and soul and creativity to them. We have to build within us, within ourselves, a different, kind of paradigm that we want to eventually mm. see on the outside. We have to be reclaiming our soul and our inner space and our sanctuary within all the time, I think. Well, yeah. And I think one of the ways to reorient and to kind of open up that possibility is to think more in terms of questions. And that was kind of the final thing I wanted to ask you about, actually. You know, I think a lot of folks who are not really into astrology or a little bit skeptical of astrology think about it a lot as sort of making hard and fast predictions. You, in fact, ask a lot of questions. I've taken many, many of your courses, and that's one of my favorite things about them. One of my recent favorites was, what would be a creative liberation <laughs> for you? And my response was, 
not worrying about whether a project is successful or not. Um, it's very Capricorn rising. I mean, that's just it though, right? <laughs> like what if I could just uh, let this child live and not worry right? about what school they're going to go to? Like just <laughs> let them live. Yeah. But I'm curious, um, you know, what do you think is the power of, or the value of questions over predictions? Mm. Well, questions allow you to orient yourself towards your own wisdom. And I, I say this all the time, but I believe that you hold within you every answer and, and every avenue towards every answer that you need in life, full stop. So a question op- helps us to open up our mind. What, oh, am I, did I miss something? Can I, you know, go through and see like what else, how else might I see this issue? And so instead of, I don't ever want to be the person that's telling you something, but I want to help you explore who you are, the qualities of your life, the qualities of your chart, and the qualities of your possibilities in this moment. And I get that from Demetra George. Demetra, you know, always throughout her readings and through her lessons, she's my astrology teacher. She's always asking me, like, what do you think of that? And does that resonate? And how do you see that? Or... She's such a great teacher in that way. And I think that we can learn how to be those teachers also for ourselves and to stay in the openness of exploring a topic instead of condemning ourselves to a a limiting narrative. We can be like, okay, this is where I am and also what else might be possible here. I love Chani's idea of using our astrological charts to constantly reorient ourselves towards possibility. A friend and I actually had a running joke in this vein. She was having a moment where I, as her friend, thought she was being relentlessly hard on herself. I could tell, even from the outside, that the negativity level of her internal self-talk was extremely high. So the phrase, consider the possibility, became a sort of ongoing refrain that I would mirror back to her. We'd be texting and she'd be getting down on herself. And I'd say, consider the possibility, dot, dot, dot. Or I'd visit her house and leave a little note tucked away in her desk for her to find later that said, consider the possibility. Because Chani's right. We all need that healing voice, the one that helps us reorient toward possibility in any situation. And that voice is certainly something that you can cultivate internally. But it's not easy. I've been actively working on being that voice for myself for many moons now, but it's still a work in progress. And I'm sure it always will be. But it's very easy to be that healing voice for someone else. To mirror back to a friend a good quality that they forgot they had. Or to give someone permission to use their talent by reflecting it back to them. Or to help a colleague zoom out and see the big picture. That things are really not quite as bad as they thought. Consider the possibility. If you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like to dig deeper into my work, there are two simple ways to do it. I have a twice-monthly email that you can sign up for at hurryslowly.co slash newsletter, where I share my latest writing, articles I'm reading, and of course, the most recent episodes of this podcast. Once again, to get on the list, visit hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. And or you can check out my new online course, Reset, a cosmic tune-up for your workday, which draws on my 10 plus years of experience researching productivity 
and creativity to create a program that teaches you how to work in a way that's intentional, energizing, and inspiring. Almost a thousand students have now taken the course, and from what they tell me, it has been quite healing for many of them. You can learn more about the course at reset-course.com. There's a nice video trailer right at the top that'll give you the whole vibe of the course in under 30 seconds. Once again, that's reset-course.com. As always, thanks to Matt Susich for producing this episode and to Devin Craig Johnson for composing our lovely theme song. If this episode changed your thinking or gave you a little aha moment, I would love it if you left us a review on iTunes. There's a handy link right down there in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and remember to hurry slowly.